Welcome to another episode of the ASIC Talk powered by ICM. I'm your host, Klaus Androni. Today we will talk about cardiac arrest. Hundreds of thousands of patients are admitted to our intensive care units in a coma after resuscitation from cardiac arrest. Many of them will die and others will suffer disability from severe brain injury. Therapeutic hypothermia may protect the brain from hypoxic injury. And we will talk about that today with Shannon Fernando from the Division of Critical Care, Department of Medicine of the Ottawa University in Canada. Dr. Fernando is the lead author of a systematic review on this topic, published on intensive care medicine this month. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Claudio. And here with us today is also Jerry Nolan from the Royal University Hospital in Bath and University of Warwick, UK. He's the past chair of the European Association Council. Welcome. Thanks, Claudio. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we start talking with Shannon, I would like to ask Jerry to provide some background. What do the current guidelines from the European Association Council and ESIC recommend about targeted temporal management after cardiac arrest? Yeah, thanks, Claudia. So um, our existing guidelines, which, which were published in early this year, 2021, so the European Resuscitation Council and Ezekiel guidelines, were based on, on a number of studies, but most importantly, the, the HACA trial published in 2002, uh, the original TTM trial published in 2013, and the Hyperion trial published in 2019. And, and the, the evidence, the combination of evidence from all of those studies led us to, to come up with guidelines, which I can summarize very briefly by saying the main bullet points were, we recommend TTM for adults after either out of hospital or in hospital cardiac arrest, with any initial rhythm, who remain un unresponsive after ROS. So that was kind of a headline statement. And then the target temperature recommended was, was a constant value, somewhere between 32 and 36 degrees for at least 24 hours. And then the, the third important point was to avoid fever defined as greater than 37.7 degrees C for at least 72 hours after Rosk in patients who remain in coma. So that's where we were in, in March when we published those guidelines. But more recently, of course, we've had publication of the TTM2 trial, um, which essentially showed no difference between targeted temperature of 33 degrees and, and essentially um, prevention of fever. So, so treating patients if they reach 37.8 and bringing those down to a target of 37.5. So that's obviously left us in a position where we really have to consider um, the results of TTM2 in the context of all the other data we have. And the Advanced Life Support Task Force of Law Corps is looking to um, review its treatment recommendations. Thanks, Jerry. So a new evidence review was needed at this point since TTM2 really changed the balance uh, for the TTM treatment. Now, the review we are presenting today is based on a network meta-analysis, and I would like to ask Shannon to explain our listeners what a network meta-analysis is and why he chose this study design to evaluate TTM across studies. Yes, Claudia, I think it's very important to clarify our, our design of this study. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, building on what Jerry said, we have two new important data points that came out this year following the publication of the 2021 ESC guidelines. The first, of course, TTM2, as mentioned by Jerry. The second is the coming capital chill trial, uh, which was completed here in Ottawa. The results will be published in the coming months. Uh, Benjamin Hibbert, who is this co-senior author on our review, is one of the investigators. 
And the data was actually presented at the American College of Cardiology. Again, similar to TTM2 showing no difference. Now TTM2 compared patients, random, randomized patients to 33 degrees or normothermia, whereas capital chill randomized patients to 31 degrees versus 34 degrees. So we're seeing across trials, different temperature targets. And to that end, we thought network meta-analysis would make great sense. Network meta-analysis is similar to traditional meta-analysis in that it allows direct comparison between two interventions, but it also allows for indirect uh, comparison between interventions that have never been tested before in randomized trials. So for example, if treatment A is compared to treatment B and treatment B has been compared to treatment C, but treatment A has never been compared to treatment C, a network meta-analysis will allow us to derive an estimate of the effect of treatment A against treatment C, even though they've never been compared. So in this respect, it allowed us to compare all of the target temperatures that have been used in these randomized trials. So we defined four temperature targets. We said deep hypothermia, 31 to 32 degrees, as was used in capital chill. Uh, moderate hypothermia, probably the most common temperature target at 33 to 34 degrees mild uh, hypothermia, which was defined as 35 to 36 degrees, only tested in the original TTM trial, and uh, normal thermia, which we defined as 37 to 37.8 degrees, which is the most common control arm uh, in randomized trials. And so using these four arms, we could compare them amongst each other, both directly and indirectly, to identify any potential uh, difference between them. Excellent. It's very clear, Shannon. And what were this population and the outcome of interest in this specific systematic review? So in this particular review, we specifically wanted to look at patients with out-of-hospital uh, cardiac arrest. So that means patients uh, it, it, who first encountered care through the pre-hospital environment. Um, they had to be adult patients. Um, and we didn't distinguish or differentiate between the underlying etiology uh, of the cardiac arrest, whether it was cardiac in nature or not. And that's because of existing data that shows that we're actually quite poor at determining uh, what the ideology is of an underlying cardiac arrest. Uh, we didn't differentiate by cardiac rhythm or uh, we just wanted patients to have uh, a cardiac arrest out of hospital. And these included only patients who had return of spontaneous circulation upon uh, ad admission to hospital, usually in the intensive care unit and with decreased level of consciousness following a return of spontaneous circulation. So this is really the classic patient that has been uh, enrolled in these randomized trials. The primary outcome of interest uh, was survival with good functional outcome at discharge. Um, so we have the different trials use different endpoints about when these patients were assessed, but we wanted to look at up to six months uh, uh, as the latest time period. And we, we also noticed that there is heterogeneity between the trials about what scales they used. Um, and so we use the same outcomes uh, as defined as good neurological outcome across trials. So that means a modified Rankin scale of zero to three uh, or a cerebral performance categories or a CPC score uh, of one or two. All of these indicate mild to perhaps at most moderate degree of disability, um, but that was what was defined as good functional outcome in these trials. And, and as, as, as I'm sure Jerry can attest to, what is typically thought to be good functional outcome uh, across resuscitation trials in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And can I ask you now, the most important point, what did you find in this study? So when we looked at the network uh, estimates, which combined the direct and the indirect estimates, uh, we found that uh, neither deep hypothermia 
moderate hypothermia or mild hypothermia had any effect on survival with good functional outcome uh, as compared to normal thermia. Now, in doing this, and we also use the grade uh, tool to rate the certainty of our estimates. And all of these had low certainty, suggesting that while the point estimate does indicate that there's no difference, that there is the potential that it exists, that there may be an underlying difference that we cannot rule out due to uh, differences between the trials, blinding, which was not continuously used in all trials, uh, and accuracy of the point estimates. So we found no difference in the primary outcome uh, of survival with good functional outcome or survival altogether. Uh, and this is in keeping with the results of both uh, the TTM2 trial this year, as well as the Capital Chill trial. See, so taken together, the results of your study suggest that the routine use of TTM in adult patients who are comatose after resuscitation from out of hospital cardiac arrest is not associated with improvements in patient important outcomes. And was that any potential harm for, or, for treatment uh, in addition to absence of benefit? So we did uh, review uh, a variety of adverse events uh, that occurred across trials and again, similarly conducted meta-analyses of these. The only adverse event that was seen across trials was the incidence of arrhythmia. Now it's important to point out that many of these studies defined arrhythmia quite broadly. So that could include anything from a, a tachyarrhythmia to a bradycardia with or without hemodynamic instability. And the reason this is important is that bradycardia in some observational studies of therapeutic hypothermia have shown this to be a good prognostic factor in terms of outcome. But what, what, I, what I would say with regard to this is to rely on the data provided to us from TTM2, which wasn't just looking at bradycardia, but rather bradycardia with hemodynamic instability, which we can all agree uh, is, is certainly an adverse event and was increased with hypothermia. So that was the major adverse event. We did not see uh, differences in other adverse events, uh, largely including infection, bleeding, uh, or seizure. Thank you very much, Shannon. So, Jerry, what are the implications of this evidence for clinical practice guidelines? Well, I think this, this evidence, I mean, this, this uh, meta-analysis specifically, but, but the, the combination of all these randomized controlled trials now that we have, uh, is very important, and, and certainly the Advanced Life Support Task Force for ILCOR, the International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation, have now had several um, uh, video conferences to discuss all these data uh, to really try and start to work towards some form of um, initially treatment recommendations, broad treatment recommendations, that will then get translated into regional um, guidelines for, for, for practice. And what we can say uh, at the moment is, is that we've agreed draft treatment recommendations that have been made public because they were placed for public comment on the core website recently. Uh, and I won't go through every single one of these, but perhaps just highlight the sort of top three um, recommendations. I think the first one is the most important, and I'll, and I'll read it word for word. So it's, we suggest actively preventing fever by targeting a temperature less than or equal to 37.5 degrees C for those patients who remain comatose after return of spontaneous circulation from cardiac arrest. And that's a weak recommendation with low certainty evidence, which is entirely consistent with what Shannon's just been discussing in terms of the grade basis for that. 
the second point is 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 controversial because it's not really a treatment recommendation and i have to say this is a reflection of the very diverse views amongst the als task force it's been quite controversial this but the second point is to say whether subpopulations of cardiac arrest patients may benefit from targeting hypothermia at 32 to 34 degrees remains uncertain and that that does a number of things that statement it does enable some clinicians in some circumstances to choose to use these lower temperatures of 32 to 34 if they believe their patients may benefit they may believe that those patients were not represented in these these randomized controlled trials they may believe that some of these RCTs are not as generalizable to their patient populations as we might think. It also importantly, of course, keeps the door open for important research because there are still a number of unanswered questions. And, and I think the third one, which is something which perhaps hasn't been brought out yet, is that comatose patients with mild hypothermia so are already hypothermic after ROSC, as many of these patients are, particularly after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Those patients should not be actively rewarmed to achieve normothermia. The evidence for that is fairly sparse, and that is therefore a good practice statement. We don't have science to support that. And I think there are some other treatment recommendations. I recommend people go to the OCOR website to look at those. But I think those top three ones are the ones for um, consideration for clinical practice. And if those are eventually accepted in the final form, then that will represent a change, I think, in the direction of this particular therapy, moving perhaps away from the idea that um, temperatures of between 32 and 36 should be applied in most cardiac arrest patients to really saying that probably in the majority, certainly those of cardiac origin, uh, that we should be looking at uh, prevention of fever. Thank you very much, Jerry. That's all the time we have for today. We thank our guests, Shannon Fernando from the Division of Critical Care Department of Medicine of the Ottawa University in Canada, and Jerry Nolan from the Royal United Hospital in Bath and University of Warwick, UK. You can find the article of Dr. Fernando in the October issue of ICM. Access of full content is free for ASIC members, along, of course, with ICM subscribers. Thank you for listening and reach out if you have any questions. I'm Claudio Sandroni from ICM.